There's got to be an explanation to all these UFO sightings, right? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. The Joyce Kaufman Podcast is being brought to you by Code Red Roofers, South Florida's leading residential and commercial roof experts. Code Red Roofers, roofers that respond. Call 844-4-CODE-RED or visit coderedroofers.com. Well, I told you that uh, the decision would come down probably today or tomorrow regarding affirmative action. And of course, I was absolutely correct. And I was also correct in saying it would be uh, a decision based along philosophical lines. And it was. The Supreme Court has struck down the use of so-called affirmative action in higher education, which in my opinion, went on far too long. Not that it didn't have a purpose and a place, it did. But today in modern, you know, society, the touchstone of an individual's identity is not the color of their skin or their ethnicity or their faith. It is now uh, much more of a level playing field. And as I said in my show yesterday, there are th- you can make a socioeconomic case to give you know, a, a, an added bonus to people who came up in very rural, poor school systems or inner city school systems where they were not being prepared for college. But that's not what affirmative action was designed to do, and it wasn't doing that. All it was doing was preferring one racial group over another in an effort to bring equity or equality to the universities. And it's almost insulting, and I've said this from the very beginning, in 2023, to imply that, you know, Jay-Z and Beyonce's kids need to have their race considered when they apply for college. I mean, that's really insulting. They have the best of opportunities. They could go to whatever schools, the prep academies they want. They could have private tutors. They are socioeconomically way ahead of most people. Well, I mean, 99.9% of the people living in America will never have that kind of wealth and prestige. So uh, affirmative action ceased to be relevant when you had thriving black middle class and now a thriving um, black wealth class. And that doesn't mean that there aren't some things that should be considered. See, I, I'm all for get, getting past uh, you know legacies. I don't think because your father went to Harvard, you should get to go to Harvard automatically, which would have kept George W. Bush out of Harvard, by the way. But So I don't believe in that kind of stuff. And I think that there's a case to be made that you would like to let people who come from different parts of the country into a New England school to bring a more um, diverse 
student body to a school in Cambridge or a, a school in New Haven, whatever the, the case may be. But these racial preferences really ended up being unjust. And these cases which were brought were solid cases. There were two separate appeals. They were heard together back in October of last year. One was Students for Fair Admissions versus the President and Fellows of Harvard College, and the other was the Students for Fair Admissions versus the University of North Carolina. And Justice Roberts wrote the majority opinion in the UNC case, and he was joined by Justices Clarence Thomas, Neil Gorsuch, Brett Kavanaugh, Samuel Alita, and Amy Coney Barrett. The court's three liberal justices, Sonia Sotomayor, Elena Kagan, and Ketanji Brown-Jackson dissented. The justices' votes in the Harvard case were the same, except that uh, Jackson did not participate in that decision. She recused herself because she had close ties to Harvard. Kagan didn't recuse herself, even though she used to be the dean of the Harvard Law School. So the uh, students for Fair Admissions is a conservative group, or that's what they want to call it. It's a nonprofit membership group of more than 20,000 students, parents, and others who believe that racial classifications and preferences in college admissions are unfair, unnecessary, and unconstitutional. Harvard and UNC are respectively the oldest private college and the oldest public college in the country. In the Harvard case, U.S. District Judge Allison Dale Burroughs previously found after a 15-day non-jury trial for Harvard, ruling its admission policy that was said to discriminate against Asian American applicants was not motivated by racial animus or intentional discrimination and was narrowly tailored to achieve diversity and the academic benefits that flow from diversity. The U.S. Court of Appeals for the Second Circuit upheld the lower court's decision and ruled against students for fair admission. In the North Carolina case, U.S. District Judge Loretta Copeland Biggs previously held an eight-day non-jury trial to determine if UNC was complying with the existing precedent. The court approved the school's admissions policy because it uses race flexibility or flexibly as a plus factor and only as one among many factors. The court found UNC had no viable race-neutral alternatives to help it achieve the educational benefits of diversity about as well as its current race-conscious policies and practices. First and foremost, I want to challenge the idea that there's some sort of educational benefits to diversity, because I'm not really sure what that means. What are we talking about in diversity? Is somehow what you're saying is if I see people who don't look like me, I'm going to have a, a better college experience? Because I don't know that you could ever prove that. You know, there was a time when Harvard was a, a seminary, basically. You know, these were Christian colleges originally. And for many, many years, admission was barred to these esteemed institutions of learning to people who weren't Christians, to Jews and uh, Muslims and Buddhists and everyone else. But there was a process which allowed people to be based on other factors. And one of those was actually testing them to see how 
they would do in that setting, you know, which is where you have SATs and PSATs and regents exams for high school students, was you began to focus on how, um, how prepared was a student to enter any university, but in particular, a university where the curriculum was maybe harder, maybe more rigorous, whatever you want to call it. The court stated that providing admissions preferences based on socioeconomic status instead of race would not work because the majority of low-income students are white. So the school would just be choosing more white students. So that was their reason to not go with socioeconomics. How is that not inherently racist in and of itself? Race should be used by UNC indefinitely, the lower court opinion was, because it is interwoven in every aspect of the lived experience. Until the United States one day resolves its struggle with racial inequality, minority students would continue to be less likely to be admitted in meaningful numbers on race-neutral criteria. Well, I guess we're about to find out, aren't we? And, and I say it's about time we found out, because trust me, I can, I can point to a number of people, and it goes far beyond anecdotal, because I certainly went to school with people of all the different races, and I certainly um, live in a diverse family, in a diverse society, and I can tell you right now that some of the most brilliant people I know and have ever met in my life would make it on any college campus and I, I don't have to tell you what color they are because it doesn't really matter. You know, uh, Clarence Thomas is not the, the scholarly, constitutionally sound Supreme Court justice because he's black and because they let him go to Harvard. No. You know, he had that mind. Ben Carson, you know, every strike that could possibly be stacked against Ben Carson, single mom with mental health issues, you know, uh, being shuffled around to grandparents and this and that. Clarence Thomas, same story. All of these stories are now numerous enough for us to say it might actually do society a big favor if we just start expecting that the smartest people are always going to rise to the top of the academic pool. And that's the end of the story. You know, it's not because they're black, it's not because they're white, it's not because they're Hispanic, it's because they have uh, a, a mind that's capable of learning complex theories. And you can spot that. I mean, I was in, you know, a trained educator and particularly trained with young children. And I can tell you that any preschool teacher, any kindergarten teacher will tell you that they know within the first month of school, which students have the capacity for learning quickly and learning completely, who can master critical thinking skills. They're easily identifiable, and it's certainly not based on their race. You know, so, so this kind of uh, ruling came about at a time when you had such historical legacy of slavery that extraordinary measures needed to be taken. But that is simply not the case anymore.
and to pretend that it is and to keep re-victimizing a particular racial minority or, uh, an, or now victimizing a different racial minority is insane to me. It really is. When I think about these Asian students, does anybody think for a moment that the kid with a 1560 SAT score who gets knocked out of you know, uh, admission to Harvard because they're Asian, that that's fair? H- how? Uh, on what planet would that be fair? That, that, that he should be replaced with, uh, you know, some kid whose uh, grandfather went to Harvard or some kid who was uh, born uh, black or some kid who was uh, born, I don't know, you know, white. It's not. It's not uh, acceptable anymore to base so many decisions on the factors that we all agree we're trying to move past. So it's going to be very interesting. I mean, the left is psycho. I mean, they're absolutely psycho. This is when I love Twitter is you go on Twitter and you watch them just disintegrate. They're, you know, screaming at the sky and, oh, this and nothing. You know, I immediately tapped into the NAACP website because I knew there'd be a mouthful, a earful there, right? And surely there was, you know, they had a lot to say about it. And I understand, you know, if your entire raison d'etre, if your whole reason for existing is to keep insisting that it will never be fair and therefore all kinds of special accommodations have to be made, well, then you're not going to give that up easily. The uh, president and CEO of the NAACP, one Derek Johnson, released the following statement. Today, the Supreme Court has bowed to the personally held beliefs of an extremist minority. Who are the extremist minority? The, the Asian students? White people? We're not a minority in most states. And then he goes on, we will not allow hate-inspired people in power. Who are the hate-inspired people in power? Really? You, you believe that about the Supreme Court justices? You think Clarence Thomas is inspired by hate? We will not allow them to turn back the clock and undermine our hard-won victories. Well, if they're victories and you won them, then you're no longer a victim. You're a victor. The tricks of America's dark past will not be tolerated. What are we talking about? Nobody's uh, saying we should go back to slavery, Derek. Let me be clear, he says, affirmative action exists because we cannot rely on colleges and universities and employers to enact admissions and hiring practices that embrace diversity, equity, and inclusion. Nor should we, Derek, okay? And yes, race plays an undeniable role in shaping the identities of and the quality of life for black Americans, but so much less than ever before. And while there still may be some scars by the wounds of racial disparities. There's also been tremendous victories. So it's not a dark day in America. The beacon of hope hasn't been turned off for generations of black students. And I believe that as always, you will see smart people get into colleges. And maybe what we really ought to be talking about is how socioeconomics plays out much more profoundly in uh, going to school from elementary through graduate school, from gaining meaningful employment at a decent living wage 
it's much more tied to the socioeconomic class of people than it is to the color of their skin. And maybe we should set about uh, doing more to do that. And I'm not even calling for affirmative action, but maybe we can start recognizing what the real issues are, what the real uh, problems are in America and stop this uh, blame game of one uh, race has to be you know, taken care of and one race has to be in charge. It's just, it's nonsense. And, and I, I, I reject it. I reject it. I have, I have many grandchildren, 11, okay? And they come in all colors from straight up black to straight up white and every shade in between. And the smartest ones are not easily identified by the color of their skin. I can tell you that right now. The two smartest ones are one that's white and one that's black, period, end of story. And then they come in various other levels of genius, right? But obviously it wasn't the color of their skin that determined the genius, that's for sure. So yeah, I'm just, I'm just, I'm gratified. I think the Supreme Court didn't bow. I think they held to what I believe are the true uh, principles of this country, that all men are created equal, endowed by their creator, and that now that we have um, made sure that we've expanded a middle class, expanded a, a an upper class of all races, we shouldn't be punishing Asian people, or white people for that matter. Anyway, don't forget, by the way, can we have like a little affirmative action in the NBA? Just saying. Um, Yesterday, I did a, a little anecdotal study. I'll tell you the results when we come back. Um, thank you to everyone who participated, although you kept me up for like an extra 50 minutes last night just pouring through your emails. But thank you for participating. And don't forget to download the app, the 850 apps. You can hear my No Restraint podcast and all the other uh, podcasts of our show and, and the podcasts uh, that other people on these stations are making. They're fabulous. Watch them or go to the website, 850wftl.com, and you can win a gift certificate to Bole and the Eaton's Good. I'll be right back. Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. All right, and uh, welcome back. I have to tell you that we're having some technical difficulties, so I hope that, uh, that you're able to hear this until we get it all straightened out. But I wanted to share with you the results of my anecdotal question yesterday when I said, are you watching the Fox News Network anymore? And I received about uh, somewhere between 25 and 35 emails. I, I wasn't sure. Some of them look like they might have been from the same person, so I'm only going to say 25. Uh, and let me just read you some samples of what I saw. Since the day they canned Tucker, I have not ever had that channel on again and will not ever. I do miss Mark Levin, but even that won't get me back on Fox. Thanks for staying true, Joyce. As you always say, we must refuse to comply from Jensen Beach. Then I have 
I haven't watched Fox News since the 2020 election when they called Arizona for Biden before the results were even in. I was done. That's uh, somebody from Palm Beach. Then, uh, just in all capital letters, I no longer watch Fox News nor subscribe to Fox Nation. That was from Boca. Then, uh, absolutely not. I don't know where he's from, but he was adamant. And then, um, no, I no longer watch Fox from Boynton Beach. Then, no, Fox News, period, from also Bo- uh, Boynton Beach. From Delray, I don't watch. <laughs> they, they get them brief, man, but they just wanted me to hear them. And I get it. And I totally get it. And uh, now we have from Fort Lauderdale. Nope, don't watch Fox News any longer. From Pompano Beach, I still watch mostly The Five and Gutfeld. Maybe that's not Pompano Beach. I think that might be uh, uh, Boca. And then I just scribbled a lot of these down. Then do not watch Fox. And the, the, the person, it's interesting, the person, you know how you have a signature at the bottom? The person said, always do sober what you do drunk. That will teach you to keep your mouth shut. <laughs> okay. I don't know why that, that's their thing, but it's interesting. And then from one of the uh, chairpersons of a, a local Republican club, I, watch, I still watch Fox and all the others, too. No, no Fox. Oh, she was in Weston. And I don't know where this person's from. I no longer watch any Fox. Although, like you, I sneak Mark Levin. <laughs> that was from uh, Palm Beach County. So, you know, I, I, I wanted to know. I didn't think I was all by myself in this, but I certainly was curious to find out how many other people stuck to their guns and stopped watching. So we're going to take a break. We're going to try to straighten out some things here, and, and we'll be right back. And welcome back. We're kind of struggling um, with the technical connection. So forgive me if it's not the best sound in the world, but uh, we'll get it up and running just as soon as we are able. Um, it's amazing how technology, and no matter how good it is, you're still going to inevitably have problems. And so we're going to try and get through this problem here today in whatever manner we have to. <laughs> Gosh, I just hate when this happens. Anyway, um, so I'm happy about the ruling. I know it's gonna, there's going to be a lot of fallout as a result of this, um, but it is unconstitutional to determine who gets to go to college based on the color of their skin. There's no uh, one-size-fits-all approach to any of this diversity, equity, and inclusion stuff. So... I'm just grateful that, you know, that we do have some justices up there who are constitutionalists. And there's no way that uh, creating, you know, victim classes is good for this country or for those people themselves. That I am quite certain about. I also really want to talk about the submersible. I know that, you know, everybody is just kind of moved away from it, which is fascinating to me because it's all we thought about or talked about for a week. And then once we understood that it was, you know, a, a rescue, of a, rather a, a retrieval instead of a rescue, people got un, 
uninterested in it. Now, I, I remained interested in it. The Coast Guard has started picking pieces up, and I'm sure many of you saw the video last night in St. John's Harbor in Canada. They were hauling these pieces of the uh, submersible that had imploded, the Titan submersible vehicle. But I thought it was very interesting. There was a headline this morning which didn't seem to be getting a whole lot of attention. It actually was on the Daily Wire where I first saw it. And what it said was that they have, they have presumed to have found human remains from the wreckage at the bottom of the ocean floor where the Titan submersible imploded. Now, the way we had been talking about this in the days just gone by was that if it was an implosion, it would have been so profound that the human beings on board would have no way, um, you know, survived even remotely intact. But now the Marine Board of Investigation chairman, who was Captain Jason Neubauer, said that the evidence that they have recovered will be useful to investigators as they seek to piece together what actually happened. And... You know, he, he's thanking everybody, but they said that the wreckage, con they confirmed that all five passengers aboard the vessel had sadly been lost, but that there was, and that it was consistent with the catastrophic loss of the pressure chamber. He said that, uh, however, they are quite certain now that they have uncovered human remains. And I don't know you know, what that means or what that's going to look like. But I guess it would give some closure to members of that family. I suppose bane, bones could be intact. Um, and I guess they could do DNA testing on that. But it's just uh, the story continues to haunt me. And, of course, I'm very curious as to how much liability there's going to be for this Ocean's Gate. I mean, when you actually have to think about family members, no matter what kind of waivers they signed, their assumption was that it would have been, you know, properly tested and vetted. But this is a very kind of grisly discovery that, that they found remains in the debris field. And it was only 1,600 feet away from the bow, or bow, I guess is how you say it, of the Titanic itself. Now the human remains will be transported back to the States for analysis as part of this international investigation into this tragedy. Um, there were five people on board. So, uh, you know, first they're going to have to determine just who exactly those remains might belong to. It's just all so haunting in every single way. Um, but I have to tell you, I think, uh, I think that, uh, that we need to be more careful about how we license all these tourism things, whether it's to outer space or it's to under the water. I mean, I, you know, I'm a big fan of Elon Musk and, uh, you know, the fact that people are being flown in little spaceships out into outer space is really cause for concern. I mean, no matter what you think. By the way, uh, Alex Berenson, who is like one of my heroes, and he wrote that great piece. I used uh, a lot of that piece in my thought of the day yesterday. Um, he wants to hear from some whistleblowers. You know, the IRS whistleblowers are blowing up 
everything about the Bidens um, with these kind of tales of how they were discouraged from pursuing any kind of case against Hunter Biden when it came to the tax evasion. But now Alex Berenson is looking for some whistleblowers because apparently AstraZeneca and Sanofi are, you know, coming up with these treatments for RSV. And I knew nothing about RSV until a couple of months ago when one of the children who uh, was part of our congregation at the church had had this respiratory infection for the second time. And apparently this has become a real problem in these small children and toddlers. And he's looking for someone to tell him what's being done because they're fast-tracking again um, vaccines and, and treatments for this RSV. And I don't know, you know, Big Pharma seems to be racing ahead with a lot of these treatments and cures before anybody um, even gets to ask questions. And then once they're intact, we don't even get to ask questions at that point. It's the same thing as what's happening with these uh, gender issues, right? You know, now there's a pediatrician who happens to actually be, this is how he describes himself, so this is not me, a California pediatrician who specializes in transgender health care for children has admitted that the puberty blockers and hormones that she gives her young patients have led to severe medical complications, according to a new report in a private online seminar hosted by Dr. Erin Baroni, also known on TikTok as the Queer MD. That's her. That's not me. That's what it says. The pediatrician told her audience that the puberty blockers she gives her young patients carry a serious risk of the bone disease osteoporosis, while the cross-sex hormones she administers can leave both boys and girls infertile. Baroni is a certified pediatrician and an instructor at UCLA who uses she-they pronouns Wait a second, how do you be she, they? Wouldn't you have to be she, her, or them, they? I don't know. According to a report by the Daily Mail, Baroni recently hosted a seminar with dozens of medical students where she offered instruction on providing sex reassignment care for children. Baroni reportedly admitted to giving puberty blockers to children as young as 11, that's prepubescent, and other sex reassignment treatments to children as young as 7. Let me say that again. Other sex reassignment treatments to children as young as seven. Would you let your seven-year-old decide what kind of food they were going to eat? Would you let your seven-year-old decide um, whether or not they were old enough to drive? Well, apparently this pediatrician thinks that seven-year-olds can get gender-affirming care simply because they say so, even though... She now admits it can have devastating side effects for young patients, but she insists that the complications shouldn't be something that impedes treatment. With the bone density concerns and fertility issues, we don't see these things that are contraindications to treatment or something that really impedes treatment. We're always taking into account what is happening for the individual in the room how some of these interventions and affirming things we can do are going to help that person function better while also knowing the effects of treatment. This is crazy. 
Now there's a study out, also according to a recent article, that says that suicide rates and mental illness are substantially higher amongst transgenders. So hold on a minute here. The queer MD, as she describes herself on TikTok, argues that the treatments are medically necessary to treat depression in people with gender dysphoria, and that outweighs the risk of infertility and osteoporosis. Are you guys paying attention to this stuff? No discussion about the number of children or child gender dysphoria patients who actually grow up and regret undergoing these irreversible trans treatments, including a lot of them who are now suing hospitals and suing their physicians. So I have no idea how many people regret their decision, but it's probably upwards of 25% because the detransition forum on Reddit has over 48,000 subscribers who identify themselves as detransitioners. So just think about this. Why is it that they're so quick to allow for this kind of stuff and get a pass, you know, but I think this is what the left actually wants. They want no distinctions between genders. They want no distinct, distinct, I, I don't know what they want. Actually, I'm, um, I'm supposing and I can't figure them out at all. So I should stop supposing and try to find actual evidence. Anyway, don't forget, coming up at 1 o'clock is Dan Bongino, at 4 o'clock Ben Shapiro, 5 o'clock Matt Walsh, and then WPTV at 6 p.m. and all the good programming during the evening and overnight, and then uh, Jen and Bill will be back in the morning. I have one segment left, so please stay right where you are. I'll be right back. Um, It's not ideal, but we're doing the best that we can. Um, And I didn't want to end the show today without at least addressing the whole Robert F. Kennedy subject that I brought up the other day. I've been actually telling people that I think he should be Donald Trump's running mate, and people think I'm crazy, and and maybe I am. But apparently, uh, Donald Trump doesn't necessarily think I'm crazy, and neither does Robert F. Kennedy Jr. think I'm crazy. And let me tell you why I'm saying that. Um, somebody asked RFK Jr. what he thought about uh, Donald Trump liking him, because Donald Trump said that he uh, he actually likes RFK Jr. As a matter of fact, he appointed him to a vaccine commission during his first term. So the president was asked during a News Nation town hall, uh, not the president, the candidate, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., was asked during a News Nation town hall yesterday uh, what he thought about President Donald Trump saying he, he liked him. And he said, uh, I'm actually proud to have former President Donald Trump's tacit support. And, he, and then the, um, the town hall moderator, Elizabeth Vargas, said to him, you say that you're a Democrat, but you're getting a lot of support from a lot of leading voices on the right, like Steve Bannon, Tucker Carlson. Of course, she didn't mention me because she didn't know. Alex Jones, former President Donald Trump. Many Democrats fear that you're a spoiler in the race, that you will damage President Biden in the primary and allow former President Trump 
to return to the Oval Office. And this week, President Trump said about you, Kennedy is smart and he's a common sense guy. So what kind of man do you think Donald Trump is? She asked him. And instead of taking the bait, RFK promptly replied with a lengthy lecture about the need for candidates like him to bring people together, not divide them. You know, here's what I'm not going to do in this race. I'm not going to attack other people personally. And I think what I'm trying to do in this race is bring people together and try to bridge the divide between Americans. And guess what? When my dad died and we took the train ride, it was a two and a half hour ride, but it took seven and a half hours because there were two and a half million people on that train track. And it was a cross section of America. All the major urban stations in Trenton and Newark and Wilmington and Baltimore. There were black Americans singing the battle hymn of the Republic. There were whites in the rural areas that were holding up signs saying, goodbye, Bobby. They supported my father in the primaries in 1968. Four years later, in 1972, they were not supporting my father. Instead, the vast majority was able to harness this populist energy. And on the last day of his life, he won the most rural state in this country, South Dakota, he added. He was able to bridge the divide among people who would otherwise be Republican, but wanted someone who's common sense, who's able to appeal to their idealism, who was able to find the hero in each of them, who was able to get them to transcend their narrow self-interest and see themselves as part of a community and part of this incredible American adventure in modeling self-governance for the rest of the world. So basically, RFK lectured Elizabeth Vargas for a few minutes, and then he got to Trump. He said, and I'm, so I'm proud that President Trump likes me, even though I don't agree with him on most issues, because I don't want to alienate people. I want to bring people together. I'm proud that all these people like me and that I have independent supporters and Democratic supporters and that I'm able to bring a lot of people together, he said. And he concluded his remarks by slamming the Democrats for being full of it when it comes to polarization. You know, every Democrat says, I want to end the polarization, but how do you do that without talking to people who don't agree with you? How do you do that without appealing to people? And my purpose is to find the issues and values that we have in common, other than focus on the issues and the personalities that keep us all apart, he said. And of course, he got a plenty of accolades on Twitter and... Uh, Elizabeth Vargas earned plenty of criticism on the same forum. So, uh, you know, I, I don't know about the rest of you, but when I first brought it up and people thought I was, you know, crazy, something has got to change, and it better change soon, that allows people who don't agree with one another, but who may agree on some very basic fundamental issues that this country is wrestling with right now, I think it's the only hope. You know, I don't know if that's a... A Trump RFK ticket. I, I, I don't know how you get to that place, but I think it's worth trying. And I certainly think it's worth exploring if there's anybody left who can have a conversation with people they don't agree with and come to some kind of, uh, m you know, if not middle ground, at least some uh, place of reckoning where we can figure out 
how best to move forward as a nation. But you see, the problem is, I don't think the left wants a nation. They don't want this to be a, na a nation. All they ever want to do is talk about Donald Trump and label individuals. And uh, they're not interested, most politicians, in actually improving the lives of Americans or making America better. You know, and, and journalists, well, they may be the most heinous group of all. So it was refreshing to see the answer that RFK was able to give. You see, there really is a hunger in this country. And I think Donald Trump tapped into it, and perhaps RFK Jr. is also tapping into it. There's a hunger in this country to not be discounted by people who simply don't agree with you on the policy issues, but instead to be hopeful that at some point we'll actually get people in government who are looking to, if not compromise, at least have a debate, an honest debate about the issues. And the one thing I think we all agree on is we can no longer have bureaucrats in charge of this country because bureaucrats are proving anything, some serious problems that are going on in this country right now. If we want America to survive, if we want America to be better, then we're going to have to do this. And it's gonna take Americans from all the political persuasions RFK is kind of killing it lately with this kind of thinking. And um, I, I, I don't know. I don't know whether he's going to be successful or not, but he certainly is. And now I'm going to use the term I hate when it's applied to me, a breath of fresh air. So that does it for me today. I'll be back tomorrow if it be his will and he delays his coming at noon. Remember what lies behind us and what lies ahead of us are tiny matters compared to what lies within us. So wherever you are, just be yourself. Everybody else is taken. And then, as I always say, may God bless you. And may God bless the United States of America. Stay tuned for Dan Bongino. I'll be back tomorrow. The Joyce Kaufman Podcast has been brought to you by Code Red Roofers, South Florida's leading residential and commercial roof experts. Code Red Roofers, roofers that respond. Call 844-4-CODE-RED or visit coderedroofers.com.